Hello, hello. You found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. This is Mike. Today, we're going to talk about, oh, Thanksgiving and Trump not conceding. And mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about Mangrove, a film that was made by Steve McQueen, not the actor, but the director, Steve McQueen. And I think I'm going to talk about something. Oh, Trump attempting to take over the RNC. Sounds good. And you watched Stephanie Miller. I watched the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Roadshow Thanksgiving version. So I can tell you a little bit about that. And Maybe I'm going to try to <laughs> psychoanalyze Trump oh. in terms of why he's doing what he's doing right now. Okay. Seeing as I'm completely unqualified to psychoanalyze anybody, I figure I might as well start with him. Well, he's unqualified to be president. It's a good fit. There you go. Anyway, I am having this surgery on December 4th, mm -hmm. and I was going to be careful, but I was going to go to a friend's house for That's Thanksgiving. Right. And I got a message from Cedar sinai saying that I was going to have to be in quarantine for two weeks before the surgery. Makes and sense. not only that, they're going to give me a COVID test, let's see, two days before. So I can't take any risk at right, all of right. getting this thing because the girls are flying out. Not only are the girls flying out, the earliest date that there was in, no, late October, there was a cancellation. I got the December 4th date. If I hadn't gotten that one it for, your been hip for my hip replacement, yes. If I hadn't gotten that one, it would have been February. So it's do or die. And hmm. there are things like I can't shave my legs lest I get a cut. If you have a cut, you can't get the surgery because you oh. might get an infection. So wow. I'm getting a COVID test Tuesday just to make sure that I don't have it. Okay. I don't have any symptoms, but that doesn't seem to make any difference. People can have it and, and not right. have symptoms. So I'm going to do that just to make sure so that I don't get any nasty surprises when I go to Cedars and get the test. Oh, okay. So you're surgery. just doing this as an extra one for your own peace of mind. An extra one. Yeah. It's Got free. It. They do it at Rite Aid. And oh, nice. all you have to do is make an appointment. And so I figured, why not go? Trump family, by the way, not to get not to create a new topic, but the whole Trump family now practically has had or has had it. Yes. COVID. They're yes. going to have a very COVID Christmas. They are. And I'm having a very COVID Thanksgiving, meaning <laughs> that I'm not going to Donna's after all. Oh, right. I will right. not be going to have Thanksgiving. I'm, I had a really bad day when I got that message from Cedar sinai saying that I had the COVID test and realizing I was going to miss Thanksgiving. I was going to have to quarantine and it was going to be just a bitch of a couple of weeks. Yeah. So it made me very unhappy. Very. I was bitter, a bitter, bitter mm. person. So I had a bad day. I got over it. I'm better. Mm -hmm. uh, it just is the idea of being in quarantine is a little bit off-putting to me. It's a little yeah. scary. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's not like I'm out drinking in bars or whatever, but it just feels a little, you know what? It was a combination of getting the tests and having everything exploding all around the country. Just, you know, right. the constant drone of don't go anywhere for Thanksgiving. Right. Don't plan on doing anything. Just yeah, hunker down. I love that. The curfew. Mm -hmm. And now Catherine's birthday is on the 11th of December. We were going to go to Republic, but they're going to be closed down because oh. all the restaurants are closed for indoor dining or oh, not right. indoor dining for all dining of any kind. Right. So that's um, kind of a, another sticky wicket, unfortunately. Well, I did read an interesting article about a taco stand in East LA, if you're interested. Oh. <laughs> going there instead of Republic. <laughs> you go out there and it's called Elfish. It? I don't know. I've never been to it, but they said it had been closed for two years. Apparently it's a very well-known taco stand. And it's only open a few hours a day, right? 
It's possible. It's in some parking lot in East LA, but apparently it's come back, but they specialize in fish tacos and the pictures of the fish tacos just made your mouth water. So at really? some point, I'm going to have to get out there and oh. get some tacos to go. Okay. Well, maybe we we'll can have that, that as a, a Christmas excursion, maybe. Yes, definitely. Okay. So we have a lot to talk about with, okay. with regard to the Trump person. Okay. Let's focus. Here's what I read that scared me. I got up at five o'clock today on the Daily Mail. Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't the Daily Mail. It was an email from the New York Times. 5 a.m.? You got up at 5 a.m.? 5 a.m. I woke up at 5 a.m. I knew I was going back to sleep, but oh, okay. I just thought I'd read something. And, and there was a little thing that was highlighted. It said, Trump trying to seize control of the RNC. I and saw that, a headline around that too. Oh my God. Uh, that really alarmed me. So I clicked on the thing. It was a whole other article that I actually didn't even see in the paper today. It must have been just online. But the gist of it is there is a woman named Rana Romney McDaniel. Right. And she is the niece of Mitt Romney. And head of NRNC head of the RNC. Now, this is all news to me, so I'm saying this as if I knew it before, but I just read this. Mm -hmm. Normally, when there's a loss mm -hmm. of a party, the Step chair down. steps down. Right. Ronna McDaniel is going to try to get a second term. And now she was basically handpicked by Trump. Right. Why? I don't know. He's no fan of Mitt Romney, so I don't know what that connection is. But well, she's willing to go out in the field and lie for him. So that's yeah, well, that's enough. very true. She's very been true. doing that with the recount efforts. Oh, she's okay. Out and spread a bunch of lies. If Trump was able to take over the RNC, that means that nobody could primary him. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? He would have access to their databases. He would have access to their donors. Remember? Oh, from 2024, you mean? From 2020. To run in 2024, yes. Okay. When the John Podesta emails came out, one of the things that happened was it seemed to be the case that the DNC favored Hillary Clinton and was doing things to keep Bernie from, right. and there was a whole mad scene about that. Right. So if Trump were to actually take over the RNC, that would be unprecedented yet again. No RNC has ever been in the pocket of a president. Mm -hmm. but it would be another absolute breaking of a norm of democracy mm -hmm. since the RNC is supposed to be neutral. The DNC is supposed to be neutral. They're supposed to be there to help facilitate the elections. They're not there to put their thumb on this scale. Well, but they advocate for their parties, don't they? That's... For their party, but not for their candidate. Hmm. So if Trump took over, that means that he would automatically be the candidate. And there would be no debates. There would be no primary. He would be the candidate. Well, I don't know. If that's true, is that really so bad? I mean, they're all as fucked up as he is. He's more powerful because he has sway with these people, these however many, 30% who think that he's appointed by Jesus. But well, I not mean, 30 percent, 70 million. I, know I don't know. I, I think he's so self-destructive that maybe I'm inappropriately unconcerned, but he's so self-destructive. It could be a great thing for him to take I, it over and know. just run it into the ground. I don't know. I know that Nikki Haley has made noises about running. Mike Pompeo has made noises about running. Right. I'm sure that there are other people who would like to run. And it seems like it's a breaking 
of the norm of how the RNC is supposed to work. It would be like as if Joe Biden said right now, look, I'm going to take over the DNC. Nobody's going to challenge me. I'm going to be the presidential nominee in 2024 and no one's going to challenge me. It seems like it would be crazy for someone to challenge Trump at mm -hmm. this point in time. But, you know, life is weird. That's Jeb, true. Jeb Bush was supposed to be was the chosen one. Nobody thought that anybody would come between him and his candidacy for the president. Oh, that's and, right. That's right. Conventional wisdom. Well, I don't know. I guess I, I never thought of the RNC as some kind of honorable institution. I just figured they're as corrupt as Trump anyway. That's why for me, it's kind of like big deal. I mean, they're well, corrupt. They're corrupt. They just they just had their officers stand up with Rudy Giuliani in that parking lot by the adult bookstore about how the elections are all corrupt. But now what, where I'm a little lost here is whoever said the RNC was any kind of honorable organization to begin with. Well, maybe the RNC isn't. I trust that the DNC is a neutral facilitator of elections. I don't know if they're the ones who set the debates. I think that they are. Maybe. Um, I thought they were just there. Both I thought both committees were there basically to do media and support for the candidates. For all the candidates. Right. But if there's only one candidate, we're in a weird world. We're in right. a weird dictatory kind of a world. Yeah. I mean, we've been in that world now for four years already. He has run the Republican Party for the last four years. So I guess the difference would be, well, it's already different. Um, well, it would be institutionalized, even in would, a different way. It would be He'd carried be out of, forward. He would be out of the presidency, but he would be institutionally the head of the Republican Party, yeah. and he would have no competition. And that's what worries me, the no competition part. So you think he could really do a comeback? I think if he was the only candidate, he could. Well, I mean, he'd win the Republican thing, but you think he'd- Oh, be elected? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, don't I, trust don't know. Nick, I don't trust Nikki Haley or Mike Pompeo any more than I trust Trump. I know, but there are standards. I mean, yeah. there, are, there are ways in which we have elections and those are supposed to be free and fair. And we're supposed to have the ability to evaluate the candidates, mm -hmm. not have the candidates chosen for us by the candidate. By the candidate themselves. Yeah. So I thought that was a really scary proposition. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. But you wanted to psychoanalyze Trump. Yes. I'm just trying to, and I don't even want to try too hard because he's not worth it, but I wonder what is behind this weird, persistent push to create doubt about the election. And I just wonder, or maybe it's a mix of things. One possibility is he has suffered a deep narcissistic wound by losing the election. Mm -hmm. And so just on a pure gut psychological level, he's in denial and he's, he's trying to massage reality into something that makes him able to live with himself for another day. Oh, I think massaging is too kind a word. I would say bludgeoning. Right. Well, I would agree with that. In other words, the attempt to change reality is tied purely in his physical pain at having lost and therefore having experienced himself as something unacceptable to him. Yes. Well, I think that he, does he know that he's lost? I think he's out well, of touch with reality. Well, that's what I wonder too. That's another option. Yeah. Does he believe his own fantasy or is he just yes. doing it to try to say in a weird, unsuccessful attempt to save face? 
here's a weird thing. He's taking actions to make things harder for Joe Biden when he gets mm -hmm. into office. Mm -hmm. So if he believed that he was going to be in office, would he be taking these actions? So, so he knows he lost. So, so part of me thinks that he knows that he's lost, but he can't accept that he's lost. Well, yeah. And plus his whole MO for his whole career, I believe, has been slipping out of responsibility oh, for anything oh, that he's okay. done. He commits crimes. And then the bank says it's okay, or the lawyers get him off or whatever. He's used to having a do-over. Yes, right. And so I guess he's it's always possible, had a net. Right. So it's possible he knows he lost numerically, but he doesn't accept that as final because he thinks through the right lawyering and the right PR and the right mass hypnosis that, there's a way out. that he, can, he can change it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's right. Now he can't change it in the courts, even though he's stacked the courts. So right. that's interesting that liberal or conservative, the judges are not going for what he's peddling. Right. So there's that. Now he is going to try to screw with the electorate system and the electoral certification college. system yeah, yeah. and the electoral the state, college. Yeah, the, yes. The, yeah, the state certification. But here's my other question. Do you think, and maybe it's a mix of things, do you think this is purely driven by his fucked up psychology and his inability to accept a defeat? Or is he desperate to hang on to the presidency and he'll do whatever it takes, and this is what it takes, because he knows that he'll be prosecuted if he doesn't stay in the White House? Well, I have one question to ask about that. If he has stayed in the White House for another four years, does that mean that the statute of limitations would have, he would have overstayed those? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know if it matters to him. If he stays in the White House, that's four more years they can't touch him. I think it's all of the above. Mm -hmm. I think that there are reasons for all of it happening. If it wasn't so scary, it would be pathetic. Mm -hmm, but it, mm -hmm. it's getting scary now to me. That was another thing that was kind of working on me when I heard that I, when I heard that I wasn't having Thanksgiving, I just felt like, oh, there's no stopping this. There's no stopping it. Can't somebody stop it? Can't somebody say, no, you can't go on like this. The GSA has got to certify Joseph Biden, give him the money, oh, give him right. the, the intelligence, the office space, the whole thing. Can't somebody do that? It just feels so wrong that there's this child having well, a we're not equipped. We've never experienced a tyrant, a true no. tyrant. So we don't have a, procedures in place. Maybe it's kind of like with Watergate, after Watergate, laws were put in place to help protect against it. Maybe moving forward, we'll take corrective action so that it can't happen so easily once again. We have to. We have yeah. to. We can't go through this again because the it's next amazing. time... You think of our country being so solid and so rooted and so secure, and yet it just shows you that the power of human psychology is such that we've been getting by on mere agreements, you know, norms. social agreements. Norms. Yes. Right. We've just agreed socially, an election is an election and you suck it up when you lose and you hate it, but then you go on and you try again the next time. And this is the first time we've had someone say, I'm not leaving. It's terrifying. It really is. I find him pathetic, but my view is I just find myself just hanging on and just the way I did for election day, just hanging on for January 21st because he's going to lose a lot of power on that day. You know, hope so. he'll still have a megaphone of some kind through Newsmax yes. or whatever he wants to do. Now, here's a quote I just read before we met tonight. Hi. Laura Trump, quote, there are about 74 million people out there who do not feel like the result of this election that has been presented is accurate. So she's claiming that every person who voted for Trump believes that there was foul play on a well, massive scale. 
what I've heard is that of the 70 million who voted for him, 58%, I think, is the number mm-hmm. that I heard, believe that the election suffered from foul play. Was illegitimate. Mm-hmm. Yes. So 58%, that's a lot of people. And yeah. where do they go when Joe Biden, that's what I keep talking about as far as treason. Mm-hmm. If Donald Trump pretends to be a leader of those people who will follow him, mm-hmm. then that seems like a treasonous act to me. Yeah. One reason I didn't sleep at all last night. No, it's okay. I'm fine. But I just couldn't sleep. One reason was I made a bad decision, which was to listen to Trumpcast as I was falling asleep. Oh, (laughs) I've done that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. I have to go back to history of the English language because that just puts me (laughs) off. Remind me, what were they talking about this time? They were talking about whether Biden should or will Oh, prosecute him. Refrain from prosecuting him in the interest of, quote, healing the nation or allow his Justice Department to go after him. And it's a really interesting question about what healing the nation means. And how we have this history with Watergate. Talk about gaslighting. We were totally gaslit with Watergate by Ford, who said, we're not going to prosecute him because the nation needs to heal. Versus the idea that makes more sense to me, which is justice. The carrying out of justice is what allows us to heal. Well, it's precedent, too. That's what worries me. If this person committed these crimes well in office, can we, in good conscience, not prosecute him for what he did and the way he devalued the office of the president. Everything from the monuments clause to treason. Treason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. While he was in office. Twice. With the Russians and with the Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see how we prevent that from happening if we don't prosecute him for those crimes. And I think that what she said that kind of made sense to me, although it's very difficult to put that together with how I feel about him creating a precedent, but she had said something about the amount of time that it will take up with the Justice Department and how that will affect the state of affairs going forward. And yes, that's true. But I think we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah. Stephanie Miller. Stephanie Miller. How did it go? Well, you know what? I'm glad I went because it was the first one that happened after some really good news. I mean, we had good news in 2018, but that's when she was still doing them live. But for these online ones that she's been doing, it was great because we could all go in breathing and feeling okay, even though the election could have gone a lot better, but it could have gone a lot worse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. um, It was fun. So I will say, putting my media critic hat on, I love Stephanie Miller and she is not a sketch writer. No, she is not a sketch writer. And that's okay. I love, not as much as you, I love Frangela. And they are not sketch writers. No, they are not. They are are funny women. And when they're allowed to just talk and riff, they are hysterical. They need to improvise. They're they're not good on script. On the other hand, John Fugelsang and Hal Sparks, they are sketch writers. And probably more than that. So their pieces were quite good. And then they did a wonderful group piece that was a um, satire on the new Supreme Court. And in this one, even Frangela, they were good. So they were all arguing amongst each other. And at a certain point, John Fugelsang would come in as John Roberts. And all he wanted to do was have things be conciliatory and play down the middle, not get too extreme to the right. And they all hated him. (laughs) <laughs> they all hate it. They're all so extreme. You know, it's not really accurate because he's an extreme right winger himself, but he plays he on TV. He plays a centrist. That was the central sketch. And that was really very well done.
I was going to talk to you about this film that I saw. Yes, tell me about it. It's called Mangrove, and it was directed and co-written by Britain's Steve McQueen, who I guess grew up in an area of Notting Hill in England in the late 60s, early 70s, that was the home to many West Indians. Okay. And the accents were so real, I had to have my subtitles on so that I could understand what they were saying. But it's funny because the trial of the Chicago 7 took place five months after the D. Which would have put it in 60, late 68. Mm-hmm. And this particular incident took place in 1970. So two years later, but it was called the trial of the Mangrove Nine, because there were nine defendants. The Mangrove is the name of a restaurant, and it's kind of the cultural hub of this West Indian area of Notting Hill. And it is beset by racist cops. Cops come in without a warrant, they rough up the customers, they take their billy clubs and smash the windows, smash everything that moves, they will smash. And each time Frank, the owner of the the restaurant, Mm -hmm. will somehow manage to get it up on its feet again. At a certain point, there have been so many raids that people don't come to the restaurant anymore. And there is a kind of a Black Lives Matter demonstration that the leaders of this area, the woman who's the leader of the Black Panthers in England, and she comes and there are various other figureheads that join this march. Just like in the trial of the Chicago 7 or at the DNC, it's the police that start the riots. They come upon them, they're blocked by the police, but the police beset them and they're beaten and they're taken to prison. They're put on trial, all nine of them. And the trial is really, given the structure of the courts, which will not recognize racism as a reason for public upset or for a defendant to be released because of their reaction to institutional racism. Mm -hmm. Despite that, I don't want to say whether they're successful or not, Mm -hmm. but despite that, and despite the fact that they have no money and they're Mm -hmm. untrained, they find a lawyer who believes in them and they have their moment to tell their their story to say what it is like for them to live with the cops who disrespect them completely and will will rough them up as as a game. They'll mm-hmm. come after the young men and beat them up just because just because it is like a it's like an initiation. But it sounds like you get a good as a viewer you get a good sense of that experience from the black person's side. Yes. And that was what was missing for me in the trial of Chicago 7. I didn't get the build up, build up, build up, build up to the moment where there was suddenly this implosion. And that's what I got with this. And it's really, it's very well made. And the acting is excellent. So I do want to recommend it. Yeah. It's one of five films that Steve McQueen has made for Amazon Prime. And I think that they all take place in the same area of Notting Hill. They're all different slices of life there. Okay. And I can't wait to watch the next one. Oh, because that sounds this one fun. Excellent. It's a, it's a look at institutional racism that's different than what we have here. It's the same, but it's different. Right. Right. If anything, it's almost like the South. And yeah, it's just rampant. There's a history of colonialization. Exactly. Now. So even though there were abolitionists there and slavery was abolished before it was here right. in the States. Right. But there's still um, a legacy of that. A very big one. And that's what we're learning really now is that the fact that that condition 
was from many years ago doesn't stop the fact that it's still affecting us on a current daily basis. I think that mango was the last thing that I had to think about. I'm going to go and quarantine some more. Oh. I'm quarantining with the crown. Alrighty. Okay. Okay, boomers. We have talked the night away. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.